Well, I'm a nine o'clocker, so I probably need to introduce myself to you, to the 11 o'clockers. Um, five things about me. Number one, I really love God. I really love Jesus. And uh, I've been walking with him for some 53 years. And it was the greatest decision I ever made when I invited him into my heart. And uh, I can't talk about him enough. And I can't talk about his love enough, his care, his concern, his direction. That's one. Number two, I love my wife. God has blessed me with my perfect helpmate, and uh, she's not here, so I'm not getting anything for this, but um, <laughs> she was first service. And um, it's just been a blessing, and, and uh, I, I'm a blessed man. We've been on so many adventures together in this life. Um, so. That's something you need to know about me. I also love my family, and um, I love my boys. I love my daughter-in-law's gifts to me. You know, you love your kids, and you adore your grandchildren, right? So I have two in the front row, and I have a total of six, but they are just so special to me that God has given them to me to watch over, to pray over, to care over. And um, what a gift. What a life. So I love Jesus. I love my family. Something else you need to know is, and I hope this isn't a cliche because I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I love the Word of God. I love the Bible. I believe that the Bible is God's gift to us. I believe that the Bible is powerful. And a uh, couple things about it that I want to share because before we even get into this word for us today, you need to understand the power. You know, we're going to call this the parable of the sower, but that's probably not a great title for this. It's really the parable of the soils, but it goes much deeper than that because it's the power of the word. The sower is going to sow the seed, and the seed is the word of God. God has given us the gift of his word. And what does that word do for us? In Psalm 119, it says, it gives us direction. It's, it's a lamp unto our feet. It shares with us the things that God loves as well as the things that God hates. And in the day and age in which we're living, where kind of think it's getting darker outside, we need to be people, children of the day. We need to be salt and light. And God has given us that gift. Also, we're told that this gift is all-powerful, that it's like a two-edged sword that cuts bone, divides bone and marrow. 
and it never returns void. It always accomplishes what he sends it out to do. And I'm a living testimony of that. Because when I was a senior in high school, I had a friend that shared with me about Jesus. And he would read scripture to me. And I would argue. And I always felt like I won every argument. But when I went home at night and I laid my head down, you know what was going through my mind? Not my arguments. The word of God. Because it's living. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And then, as an example, I'm sure we all love Jesus here. I love the stories. I love the fact that, that Jesus is not just fully God, but he's fully man. And we read in the book of Hebrews that because he's fully man, he can help us in our times of struggle. He identifies with our emotions. I love that. And so when I think about Jesus and the stories that I read, I'll, I'll bring one up before we jump into our text. Jesus is coming down from Jerusalem. He's coming to the Jordan River. His cousin, John the Baptist, also known as the baptizer, is baptizing and he comes down and John shouts out to the crowd, behold the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. Jesus comes down. As you know, he's baptized. A spirit, a dove, alights upon him. A voice from heaven. This is my son whom, whom I'm well pleased. And then the text says he's driven into the wilderness. And for the next 40 days and 40 nights, he's tempted. Now, I, I did mention he's God, and the fact that he's the creator of this universe, that he actually spoke this universe into being, right? And so I feel like because he spoke everything into being, that would include angels, spiritual beings, Satan. And I think there's a great, I would think there's a great reset button somewhere. So now Satan, imagine, comes to Jesus after 40 days, the creator of the universe. And he tempts him. Don't you think if you were Jesus, you had had it? And you could simply say, sounds like Rambo a bit. I brought you into this world and I'm going to take you out. Boom. Boom. And all of a sudden, he's gone. But he doesn't do that. What does he do? Three different times, he says these words. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of my father. It is written. Thou shalt worship the Lord your God. It is written, it is written, it is written. I think he did that in order for us to understand there's power in God's word. And in this day and age, 
I don't care what your politics are. Our world doesn't need your thoughts and opinions. You know what our world needs? It is written. And God has given you his word. And I hope and I pray, and I'll pray at the end, I pray that you fall in love with the word of God because there is no substitute whatsoever. Nobody can read it for you. It's his gift to you. So if you have your Bibles, let's, oops, I should probably log in here. Open them up to Matthew chapter 13. We start with background because if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know he's fully human. What has Jesus been going through? You remember? Remember he's in a synagogue in a town called Capernaum, and in the synagogue there was a man with a withered right hand. It happened to be Shabbat, and Jesus saw, Jesus pointed it out, and Jesus said to him, stretch out your hand. And his hand was stretched out, and what happened? He's healed. The problem is both the audience and the day. It happened to be Shabbat, the Sabbath, and the Pharisees were there in number, and they basically say, how dare you heal on the Sabbath? What else has happened? There's throngs. He's in his home, probably Peter's home in Capernaum, and it's jam-packed. And now the Pharisees are starting to accuse him of all these miracles that he's done. What do they say? It's not the hand of God. It's actually the hand of Beelzebub, the prince of demons. Jesus does all of these works by satanic power. Imagine. And then, in the midst of all of this, his family comes. And, and, and we don't know what took place there, but apparently there was a misunderstanding. And, and we're told in Scripture, by the way, outside of Mary, that his brothers don't come to the faith until after the resurrection. So it's not like there's an understanding of all of this. And because Jesus is human, he's worn out. And that's the background from where we pick the text up right now. So if you have your Bibles, verse 1 says, that same day. So all of these things have been happening, but on that same day, Jesus went out of the house and he sat by the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat, he sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. Two things, I left out another one of my loves. I love taking people to Israel. I love it. I love it because if you love the Bible, when you're in those places, it comes alive. There is no place on the planet Earth like the Sea of Galilee. There's no place like it. And when you're there, all of a sudden, everything, remember I said, if you love your Bible, 
You're going to love this experience because it just comes alive to you. And so when I read this, you get to see some slides, okay? So when I read this, Jesus comes out of his house, probably on the beach in Capernaum, and he sits down at the Sea of Galilee. So let's take a look at some pictures here, just so you get an idea of what is going on. So here's a picture where Jesus is in a boat. They push it out, and you can see the throngs of people coming. The next slide, one of my favorites. On the lower side with the kind of pinkish roof is a place called Capernaum, believed to be hometown of Jesus when he was located in the Galilee. You'll see the water, the shoreline. This is where, literally, this is where Jesus went down in this passage to sit. And then up top, Mount Arbel, looking out over that region, seeing the Sea of Galilee. I'll never forget seeing it from the very first time. I wish that for you. I pray that for you. I'll get no greater joy. I've been to Israel now close to 50 times. I'll get no greater joy than going with you, my home church, sort of things. And so paid announcement, get a flyer in the back, start praying, we're going to go in October if it opens up. The last picture here, this is on the northern shore. This is a stone's throw away from Capernaum. It's a place called Tabcha. And the reason why you're seeing these heart-shaped stones here is because after Jesus was resurrected, he meets with who? Mary. And do you know what he tells Mary? He says, go tell my disciples and Peter. How would you like to be Peter in hearing that? Go tell my disciples and Peter. You know, the guy that denied me three times. And tell him to meet me in the Galilee. Now, when I say this place comes alive, for me, when I'm here, you know what I hear? I hear, Dan, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Because it was on this beach that the broken, lost Peter heard the voice of Jesus saying, Peter, do you love me? It is a beach of rescue. It is a beach of redemption. Can you imagine what it would be like to be there, to imagine that? How many of us need to hear Jesus accept us because we are all with sin, right? There's no not one that's got a perfect record here. And how we need that redemption from him. That's what's taken place. Jesus is now on these beaches. And he's going to tell a story. So... Let's take a look at what that story is. Again, if you have your Bibles, Matthew 13. And it says, And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and he sowed, and some seeds fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured them. Others fell on rocky ground, 
where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. And other seeds fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil. And they produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. And then for all of us here, remember, when you study the Word of God, it's not a matter of a historical record that you only want to know what it said to the original hearers. It's living. It's active. And so he says these words, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. That's our challenge. Now, I'll give you few more visuals, then we'll be done with the slides. But I thought you should actually see in Israel all of these places because Jesus was this amazing teacher and he would use his surroundings to teach. You know, I'll give you an example. Remember Solomon? And he'd make the comment about Solomon probably looking out at all these wildflowers, these lilies or whatever, saying, who is arraigned as someone like this? Solomon in all of his glory cannot compare to what you're looking at, right? The visual teachings of Jesus. And so what are we seeing here? First one you're going to look at in Israel, this is the stony path, hard as a rock. Seed fell on this, but it was hardened. The next, rocky soil. Okay, not much depth to it whatsoever. How will the seed fare in these soils? And then, weeds, thorns, wheat, tares planted everywhere. The, the seed is thrown out, but what's going to happen to it in this soil? And then the last, my favorite, this was actually just sent to me about two weeks ago. If you're in Israel right now at this time, the wildflowers are amazing. And this happens to be a place, my, one of my favorites up top, Arbel, looking down in the valley. And can you see all of the different colors that just explode, good soil. And so, as I mentioned, the question is gonna be, it's not gonna have to do with the sower, we'll talk about him, we've talked about him. We'll talk a little bit about the seed that's thrown out, but really the issue for you and I right now is what kind of soil am I? And here's the deal. It's not what kind of soil I used to be. The parable of the sower, the word of God, living, active, it's for you today. So the question is, is what kind of soil are you right now? That's the question. All right, well, let's talk first of all. The parable of the sower is mentioned in what are called the synoptic gospels. 
Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's in all three. Mark and Luke make this connection that you need to hear. That the seed that's thrown out by the sower is the word of God. Now, let's think about the word of God. I've already told you some things about it. But this seed that's thrown out, when it's sown in a heart, it produces what nothing else can accomplish. This seed lives, abides forever. And it's tossed out. You're the soil, that's the seed. What's it going to fall on? Now, this seed being the word of God, I want to give you a warning before we go on. I happen to be one of those not crazy conspiracy type people, but I do happen to believe that we've entered into a place where we're starting to see what's depicted in the Bible as far as the end of days coming to pass. Now, I happen to believe every generation can say that. But when Jesus was asked about the latter times, the end of days, he simply said this, watch, pray, and don't be deceived. So it's not a time for us to avoid it, to stick our heads in the ground. We need to watch. We need to pray. And what about deception? How do we discern truth? How do we know what truth is? Once again, it comes to us in the word of God. Watch, pray, don't be deceived. Amos tells us, he's a prophet, by the way, an Old Testament guy. And Amos tells us in the end of days, there's going to be a famine that's going to come upon the land. And he says it's going to be a devastating famine. But it's not going to have anything to do with food or water. He says this famine that's coming on the planet will be the inability to hear the word of the Lord. In this day, our enemy, the devil, wants to steal the word of God from you as an individual and from the pulpits of churches. He wants to steal the word because he knows the power of the word. We're coming into this day where as it gets darker outside, people don't need to know your thoughts and opinions on X, Y, Z. You know what they need to hear? Those words that Jesus spoke in the Judean wilderness. It is written. This is what the Bible says about the times that we're living in. So he ends, verse 9 basically makes the statement that we need to hear at this time. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. So it's time to tune in, listen up, and think it through. Now verse 10 makes the statements that the disciples, after hearing this, came to him and said, why do you speak in parables? And just to give you a little background, 
The word parable, two Greek roots, para, to come alongside of, bolus, meaning uh, a, a biblical truth along a story. So in, in a sense, what you end up with is, is a story. Jesus tells a story. It's a parable. It's a story. It's not an allegory. It's a story. But do you know that there's power in stories? I mean, who doesn't like a good movie or a good story that just brings you in, right? When, when I think about the Word of God and stories, you know what jumps out in my mind? It's not the Old Testament Torah. It's not, it's not just the, the laws or this or that. No, here's a story for you. There was a father, had a son, had two sons, by the way. One said to him, I've had it. I want to go. Give me my inheritance. And this son goes out, squanders it all. You know the story? Is it coming to a live in you right now? What do you see? Do you see that son losing it all? Do you see him coming to his senses? Do you see him eating at the trough of pigs? What do you think about the father? What's the father doing? I see the father on the porch, and every single day I think that father goes, stands on his tiptoes, looks out over the horizon saying, could this be the day? It's a story, right? And yet, the power, because one day he sees something on a horizon. And what does he do? Does he sit back on the porch, fold his arms, saying, I know that's my son. He's going to have to beg for mercy. No. Do you see him? What is he doing? Is he running towards his son? Does he have like a coat in his hand? Does he see his son, throw his arms around his son, kiss him, saying, I knew you would come back? It's a story. And it comes alive to us with meaning, doesn't it? In the same way, we've got a story that Jesus is telling us here. It's a parable. But he's going to make some qualifying statements because the age in which we're living, we need to hear this as well. So he says this in verse 11, addressing when the disciples are saying, why are you telling stories, parables? And he says, to you, to you, it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. He begins with making this statement, to you it's been given. I mentioned I've walked with the Lord now 53 years. I can't believe it. That means I was like before birth became a Christian, right? 53 years I've walked with Jesus, and there's some issues that after 53 years, I still don't have a clue. One of them has to do with divine election and free choice, right? Anybody ever struggle with that one? It's the great Donald J. Barnhouse that helps me with this. 
helps me with this passage. He says, to you it's been given. As we go on, he's going to say, some have dulled themselves. They can't hear. They can't see. They can't receive. The prophet Isaiah speaks of them in this situation. Barnhouse says this. If you can imagine for yourself a huge cross, and in the base of that cross is actually a door, and there's writing on the crossbar, crossbeam of the cross. And you know what it says? It says, whosoever will may come. Free choice. Whoever wills, come on. You open the door of the cross, you go through, you turn and look back at that same cross on the other side, and you know what it says? Chosen before the foundations of the earth. Don't ask me how he knows. I know that you have a free choice. I know today he's saying to you, to you it's given. You have the ability right now to receive this word. Others have not. Also, I want to point out, how am I doing? Good. If you don't know, I keep looking up there because there's this massive clock, and I'm told if it gets to zero, something opens up, and amen. Okay? <laughs> We're done. We're done here. So notice here, and this is a spiritual principle that's true, and this is something that I hope I plant in you. You want to grow spiritually? It won't happen if you're casual, if you just want it to take place on its own. Spiritual growth comes to those that are intentional. Did you hear this? You know, we live in a society that likes to, how many like Robin Hood? You know, I like to tell my kids Robin Hood stories. You know, what does Robin Hood do? He steals from the rich and he gives to the poor and he's a hero. That is not the principle of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God says the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And it has everything to do with your intentionality and your walking with Jesus. Nobody can do it for you. If you've grown up in a Christian family, I like to make the statement because in Hebrew, the word Saba, that means grandfather. But I make the statement that God has no grandchildren. He only has sons and daughters. You're not elevated because of what your parents might have done. He wants a relationship with you. Okay, let's move on. This is that statement that it was making in verse 13 where it says, this is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see. Hearing, they do not hear. Nor do they understand. Sometimes I feel like when I read this, that that portrait of the Sea of Galilee with all those people there, I have a feeling the Pharisees were social distancing. Okay, I think they had their section and you knew it by the way they were dressed. And remember what was going on? They're only looking for the opportunity to do what? Catch him at some point, right? And I wonder as you're reading this, if Jesus all of a sudden just sort of looks at them 
as he says, this is why I speak this way, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but you'll never understand. You will indeed see, but you'll never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their eyes they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and then they would turn and I would heal them. But they've hardened their hearts. They've dulled their senses. They don't want to hear. But to you, it's been given It's important for you to understand that the greatest journey you'll ever be on in this life is only 18 inches long. And that has to do with when you hear the word of the Lord, that it doesn't go in one ear and out the other. It doesn't just stay up in your brain. But to really hear means that the word of God goes 18 inches from your ear to your heart. Remember I said, this is not the parable of the seed. We know what that is. This is not the parable of the sower. We know who that is. This is the parable of the soils. This seed that's thrown out, what's it going to fall upon? And now Jesus is going to talk about that. He goes on before ending this section, and he says, you've been blessed. Blessed are your eyes, your eyes. Here today, blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you are seeing right now. And they did not see it, and to hear what you're hearing right now, and they did not hear it. Think about this. Jesus is saying, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Hosea, Amos, they longed to be in this day. They could only see in 2020 vision. But you, to you it's been given. Our message is clearer than theirs. Why? because we're on the other side of Easter, right? It's a crystal clear message of God's intention for this world, and he's giving it to you to speak it forth. Wow, these prophets said, I wish I could be a part of that day. That's where we're sitting right now. But then, back to the question, What kind of soil are you, not were you, but are you? He says this. Hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and he doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away, that which has been sown in his heart that falls along the path. 
This speaks of a hard heart. How's your heart today? I think we have a lot of believers as a part of Anthem that were raised in Christian homes. They've heard it time and time and time again. And when you've heard it time and time and time again, if you're not careful, your ears get dull, your eyes no longer see, and your heart gets hardened. This is a challenge, this is a warning. The good news is this, I know a master gardener who can dig up that hardness, make it fallow ground, and replant the seed. Where are you at today? Is this yours? Is this your condition? Is this your heart? By the way, I find it interesting here that Satan understands this is the hardness of heart. This is where the seed's thrown out, but it says that the birds of the air came and take it. Why is it important if it's, if it's unworthy to have anything growing? Why would they take the seed? Because of the power of the seed. The transformational, miraculous power of the Word of God in one's life. It came to me. Now what's next? Verse 20 says, And for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the Word, immediately receives it with joy, but he has no root in himself. He endures for a while, but when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. This, there's not a problem with sudden growth. The problem is depth, right? He hears it. He receives it with joy. When I was praying about this, I thought, how many of us have had a mountaintop experience where we just knew beyond a shadow of now, God is so real. This is amazing. I want to stay here. It's sort of the transfiguration, right? It's a good thing that we're here. Let's build these tabernacles. It doesn't get any better than this. But you know what? You can't stay on top of the mountain. And when you walk down the mountain in your life, you're going to go through valleys. Jesus promises that tribulation is going to come your way. Not only tribulation, but persecution. In your life, you'll go through what's called the dark night of the soul. If you only have a mountaintop experience, this is you. There's no depth. And it says that some people will bail. And then it says in verse 22, as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. This is a picture of a crowded heart. For many of us, remember I said, I don't care what soil you used to be in, the question is, is where are we today? A crowded heart. The cares of the world, the, the Greek word for that, for cares, is marimda. And you know what it literally means? Being pulled in a thousand directions. Crowded heart. 
I was told that if you sowed an acre of land, if you were planting an acre of land, it would take 30 pounds of seed to do that. But as you're throwing those 30 pounds of seed, you have to understand that there are 3,000 pounds of weed seeds in that acre. I'd like it to be opposite, but this world is going to come at you. You're going to be stretched in so many different ways. The deceitfulness of riches choke the world, word, the cares of this world. I think we live here, and I think there comes a time, especially as Easter's getting closer and closer. And I'm going to ask that the worship team comes up at this time. But I think we have to ask the inspector into our hearts. I think we need to say, Jesus, could you, could you do a soil sample for me? Can you tell me the condition of my heart right now? Is it so hard that all? Is it that I have no depth, that things are springing up, but I've got no joy in my life whatsoever. It's just mundane, going through the ordinary. Or are things crowding you out of my heart? I'm just busy. i got so many concerns to deal with. I just don't have time. What's the condition of your soil? But before we leave, he does say, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word, understands it, it indeed bears fruit, and it yields in its case a hundredfold, another 60 and another 30. In the Greek, good soil, can be translated a beautiful heart. When Jesus looks upon his people, what's he seeing? Does he see good soil? Does he smile and say, what a beautiful heart? And as these seeds are being thrown out, do they find that sort of soil in us? Let me tell you the good news. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to fertilize yourself. You don't have to dig it up. You know what you have to do? Is say these words. Help me, Jesus. I want to bear fruit. I want good soil. I want a beautiful heart. The greatness of God is he hears every single one of those prayers. And just like the prodigal son, the father comes and says, don't give me your rehearsed speech. Welcome back. What a gift. What a gift. Well, as I conclude, I want to say two things. I appreciate sharing the word with you. I appreciate the fact that Anthem, Anthem, due to Chris Laurie, staff, others, but Chris each week steps up here and does what? 
He gives you the word of God. He sows the seed. I appreciate that. Believe it or not, I've been in a lot of churches and it doesn't happen everywhere. I appreciate his dedication to the word of God. I appreciate the fact that Hantham's built on the word of God. Amen? I love our church. And so my prayer as I end, this is for you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face shine all about you. May he be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you. And may he bless you with peace. Jesus, this is our prayer for the people of God here. We thank you for your church, for Anthem. We pray that we would have beautiful hearts and that we would be of good soil and that your kingdom would grow in our midst. And it's in your name we pray, amen.